We started this series uh, uh, a couple months ago, and we started because COVID is, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but COVID is the, is the great accelerator and the great revealer. It's the last two years have accelerated a lot of things, good, not so good. Uh, COVID's also been the great revealer. Anybody else realize like that it's revealed a whole lot of stuff that we preferred it didn't um, about our country and about about our world, about ourselves. Anybody else? And and in in all of that, I I've noticed that in our society we have taken this tendency, and we're, it's an increasing tendency to we stop asking questions and we stop challenging. And the reason why. We stop asking questions. We start, start, you know, have stopped challenging. Is because the moment that we disagree with somebody or ask a question and are are assume that we're disagreeing, we get anybody else get blocked, like unfriended, like we don't talk anymore, and because of that, we're afraid to question anything. And the the reality is is that we shouldn't. Because that's the greatest way to get deceived. If you stop questioning things, it's easy to get deceived and to get trapped into stuff. And what I noticed about Jesus is Jesus did, he asked more questions than he gave answers. Do you ever notice that? Whenever you read the red letters in, in the Gospels, he asked more questions than he gave answers. And Jesus wasn't in, afraid of questions. In fact, he invited questions. He wanted questions. And the reason is because truth is not threatened by questions. Right? If you've got something to be afraid of, it might not be true, or you're not convinced it's truth, you're going to be threatened by questions. And if you're, if you're convinced it's truth, you're not going to be threatened by questions. You'll invite it. So I think we need to ask questions. I think we should ask questions and probe and ask questions. And in this series, I've been asking questions that have been shocking to some that a pastor on a stage, on a Sunday morning, would dare ask. And some of the questions that I'm asking is, what in the world are we doing? Like, what is the church doing? Why are we, why are we the church? And why would we gather like this? And is, is the church that we act out and do today, is how much of it is tradition that has been enforced on us that isn't God's plan? And how much of it is the truth? And what do we keep? And what do we discard? And, and as a Christian, what are we here for? Like, what is our job as a Christian? What are we supposed to do? And so we've been asking these questions and going, well, we can't be afraid to ask these questions. And it's kind of weird for a pastor to say, hey, is this all a waste of time? Is like doing church like this? Is, is this a waste of time? And what, what are we doing it for? And what, what does the church exist for? And we're not afraid to ask. And in fact, what, I've, what we've discovered in this series is is that the purpose of the church isn't, and this is what the great revealer of COVID was, is that the purpose of the church isn't to just gather in a building once a week. Amen. That's not what the church exists for. If that's what it exists for, what a waste of time. That's not what it exists for. What we've discovered and have been discovering right from the very beginning of the series is that the church exists for the city. Amen. Got quiet. Like, the city doesn't exist to build up the church. The church exists to build up the city. And if we're not making a difference in our city, we're wasting our time. 
that the church exists for the sake. And all throughout the scriptures, from Revelation 21, where we started, where John is, is giving a vision of heaven, and his vision of heaven is a city, which is not a utopia that I would have thought you described heaven to be. But heaven is a city, and we, we learn that how you view eternity is how you're gonna, it's going to affect your behaviors on earth. And so we like, well, we ask, well, why is heaven a city? And then we start looking at a, a bunch of scriptures. And what's amazing is all throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, God had this thing for cities. And in fact, some of the prophets, we, we looked at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, he said, you know, it was a great passage. And if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. But it's basically Isaiah the prophet is, is asking the same questions. Like, what are you, like, why are you you know, worshiping like you worship. And he goes into this whole thing like, he says, you think that fasting is going to impress God. It's not. He says, you think that, that, that you know, going to, to the temple every single day is going to impress God. It's not. You think that, you know, hey, doing, you're saying the right things and acting the right way and being, you know, saying you love God so much is, is going to make him impressed. It's not. What's going to impress him is feeding the hungry, taking care of the needy. It's going it's, it's to be taking care of the city. And then... And then the promise isn't, the promise isn't that you're going to be a good Christian and you're going to have a great relationship with God. The promise is you're going to be known as the rebuilder of cities and the restorer of homes. Amen. And then he finishes the chapter by saying, oh yeah, by the way, observe the Sabbath, go to church, but just don't make it about you. You think I'm making that up, Isaiah 58. Jeremiah 29, a lot of us quote that scripture. We love quoting that scripture. You know, we, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And we love quoting that. It's so awesome. But hey, have you read the 10 verses before? Because the 10 verses before leads up to, for I know the plans I have for you. The plans that we think God has for us is that he's going to make us prosper, that he's going to give us everything we want and give us everything we need. He's going to do all kinds of stuff. No, 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 wait. J Jeremiah 29, it starts off with a letter from Jeremiah, the prophet, to the, to the captives in Israel who just got basically beaten up. Nebuchadnezzar wipes out Jerusalem, destroys the temple. They're in Babylon and they're captive and they're thinking that they're about, you know, that they're about to escape and God's going to take them back and that they've learned their lessons. And, they, and Jeremiah's letter starts with, hey, by the way, you're going to be here a while. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, so while you're here, make peace with the city. Plant gardens. Help people. And the peace that you bring to the city is going to be restored back to you. And then he says, because I know the plans I have for you. Wait. Again, it's ministry to the city. Have you, have you noticed that throughout all of the New Testament, all the New Testament, the church gets planted in the book of Acts, and all we know, we don't see the first Baptist church of of Thessalonica and, and, and the first Mennonite church that might have been in there. Just kidding. Of, of Colossians. We don't see the, you know, we don't see all these things. You know what we see? We see the city church of Ephesus, the city church of Colossus. We see the city church of Galatia. All we see is the church of each city focused on each city, not focused on 
building denominations, building all this kind of stuff, focused on their city. And what we've concluded in this series is that is simply our job, and it is, in order for us to take our job, our job is to redeem cities, restore cities, rebuild cities, and restore homes. That's our job. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> we're not so sure. That's okay. We'll get there. That's why we're still in this series, by the way. Just... No, we're still in this series because there's so much more. We've been looking at Nehemiah, and ne- the entire book of Nehemiah is about one man who, who took, the, took the call of restoring a city and, and rebuilt an entire city. And, and this, is not, this is not a you know, construction guy, a wealthy guy. This was a prisoner of war, a slave, a cupbearer. What does he know about rebuilding a city? Except for he did. And we've learned in Nehemiah chapter 1 so far, we learned that when Nehemiah heard the state of his city, and, and evaluated the state of the city, the first thing he did was accept responsibility. He didn't cast the blame on the king or the kingdom that destroyed his city, and he didn't even cast the blame on God and saying, God, you allowed it to happen. He, he, didn't, he didn't look at the state of his city and saying, it's their fault, it's their, you know, this. He said, he looked at the state of the city and says, I and my father's house have sinned. He accepted personal responsibility. And when you accept responsibility, it gives you the ability to respond. That's what we learned from Nehemiah. The second thing we learned from Nehemiah is that he knew his identity. And he anchored himself and re-anchored himself in his identity as a child of of God, as as a a member of of Israel, of God's chosen people. And he re-anchored in that identity. Because, And I think the reason why he did that is because when he accepted responsibility... He probably did like you and I would have done and make excuses as going, well, I couldn't possibly, what could I do? I'm, I'm a prisoner. I'm not even a free man. I'm, I'm a slave. I'm a cupbearer. What could I ever do? And we, you know, I live in Lethbridge. What could I do? Like, what can I do for Canada? What, what could we do? I, what can I do to rebuild a city? So he had to re-anchor himself in his identity and going, no, I'm a child of God, of his chosen people. So he anchored himself in his then, then the third thing he did is he prayed a prayer, and he didn't pray a prayer to God and saying, hey, God, could you fix our city? You know, it's broken. Could you fix our land? Could you do that? Could God, could you bring revival to Jerusalem and fix it? If you could do that, that'd be great. He didn't do that. What Nehemiah did is he, instead of praying for a solution, he prayed for the opportunity to be the solution. Amen. And he said, God, could you give me an opportunity before this king? And I'll go. And then God answered his prayer. We we found that out in chapter 2. And the last time I was here, we looked at the fact that he lived happily ever after. And and everything went great. And He didn't. He left immediately. And immediately he he got opposition. And immediately he had people persecuting him. And we learned, fourthly, that you got to expect opposition. So we, we, we got to accept our responsibility for the state of our city, for the state of our country, for the state of our crazy, crazy world. we got to accept responsibility and saying, hey, we, you know, we, we accept responsibility, which gives us the power, the ability to respond. Then we need to know our identity. Then we need to, we need to be the solution. And then we got to expect opposition. Now, now in, in Nehemiah, I had fully anticipated that I was going to come back to... To, Nehemiah, you know, to you and we'll continue on in chapter 2 and take the next thing and then I, 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 we can't. 
I apologize because, because I, I, I got stuck again in chapter one. And there's one more big, I'm not going to promise one more. There's another revelation in Nehemiah chapter one that I think changes, it's a game changer. And it changes everything to such a degree that if we get this, ah, oh, church, we could change the world. Do you remember uh, a while ago I preached a series called The Kingdom? How many remember? Do you remember? Three people remember. It was so good. Let's <laughs> put it in the chat. Somebody help me out in the chat. I remember Pastor Kevin. No. Um, Anyway, for those of you who, who don't remember or weren't here yet, I did a series on the kingdom of God, and I emphasized the fact that we need to understand, that one of the most important things we need to understand is the kingdom of, of God. And we, it's difficult for us to understand as Canadians because we live in a democracy and we don't understand how kingdoms really work. We, we watch movies, but that doesn't really tell us, but we don't really understand the kingdom. And if we don't understand the kingdom of God, it changes how we interact with church and with religion, and it changes how we interact with the world, and it really changes us and our, who we are. And in this series of the kingdom, I said that, remember, if, if you remember, I, I said that the kingdom is made up of four main parts. Every kingdom that's ever existed is made up of four main things. Number one, every kingdom has a king. <laughs> like, like, write notes. Like, this is, this is revolutionary. Every kingdom has a king. That's why it's called a king kingdom. Every king, okay, we don't have to go there. But here's, here's what's important, is that the kingdom of God has a king too. And what we need to realize is that, yes, God is king, but we also need to realize that Jesus is king. That Jesus changed everything. And when Jesus came, it changed. When he rose again from the dead, it changed everything. He is king. In fact, Paul said in, in 1 Timothy, he said this, now, talking about Jesus, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So talking about Jesus. Jesus is king. Paul said it before Kanye did. Just saying Every king, the second ingredient every kingdom has is every kingdom has a government. Okay, every kingdom has a government. And I'm not talking about a parliament or, or you know, what we have in Ottawa or what's in Washington. We, I'm not talking about that. Government, by government, I mean government just simply means to put in order, put things in order. And government in, in, encompasses maybe a senate or some rulers of that that are responsible to put things in order. That's what they're responsible for. But when they do it right... But a government in a kingdom, the government in a kingdom is all about, is all about uh, the laws and the, and the rules. And, and basically, this is how we do things here. This is the order in which we do it. So every kingdom has a government. And what's interesting is that Isaiah the prophet, when prophesying about Jesus' coming and Jesus' birth, and we quote this every, every Christmas, but Isaiah said, for to us a child is born, for us a son is given, and it says this, and the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, when King Jesus arrived on the earth, he brought a new law, a new order with him. He brought a government, a set of rules with him. And by the way, when Jesus came, his law trumps Amen. 
The old law. That's the old law is the Old Testament, which means old covenant. New Testament, new law means new covenant. It means that Jesus' law trumps old. Okay, he brought a new law. And it says in Isaiah, in the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. The third thing every, every kingdom has is a territory. Okay, which, if you think about it, it's called a kingdom, which is a combination of two words, a king and a domain. That if a king doesn't have a territory or domain to rule, he's not a king. No matter if he's wearing a crown or not. Like, you have, in order to be a king, you have to have a territory. And this is what I think is the most misunderstood part of Christianity today. And where Christianity turns into religion and becomes irrelevant. And this is what the church has misunderstood for way too long. And because we've misunderstood it, we don't know what our job is. Or what authority we have. Or what power we have. But this is what, this is what, John, this is what John said in Revelation about the territory that God has. Because this is what the church thinks. This is what religion thinks. Religion think that, thinks that God rules up there. That heaven is his throne. But John says in Revelation, talking about Jesus, the seventh angel, he says, sounded his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord, talking about Jesus, and his Messiah, Jesus, and he will reign forever and ever. That when Jesus came, he, he came not to start a religion, he came to reclaim a kingdom. That when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't lose a religion. They lost and didn't just lose, a, 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 you know, they lost the garden, didn't they? A territory that they were given to rule over. And Jesus, being the second Adam, came to reclaim a territory. And in essence, the world is now a colony of the kingdom. Which then leads us to the fourth one every Kingdom has citizens, okay? And, and a, a king can have a territory to rule, but if there's nobody living in the territory, he's not much of a king. That, that a king has to have citizens. And then Paul said this in Philippians 3, that we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return to Savior. We're eagerly waiting, but we are citizens of heaven, but we still we still are here, and Paul would say later that we are, as citizens of heaven, aren't living on earth. We are ambassadors, which an ambassador's responsibility is to be the representation of the king in the colony, in the territory, Amen. where the king isn't, isn't. So Jesus came, took a territory back, and then Jesus left. And Jesus says, it's better that I go. Why? Because then you can be restored as well as he being restored as king. You can be restored to have rulership and dominion over the territory here. Are we getting this? Amen. The, reason why, the reason why this is important is because it changes. It's a game changer. It changes everything in our role as citizens in understanding of what our territory is and what we're responsible for, in, in the laws that we're living under and what order they're in, and who is our king and who is ultimately king. Nehemiah, and I want to read his prayer again. Nehemiah prayed, prayed and we've gone through it, and I'm going to go through it quickly. 
Nehemiah prayed one of the most extraordinary prayers. And what I didn't see before that I see now is that Nehemiah identified in a short prayer. He didn't just say words and plead with God. He, this is a kingdom prayer. And because there's so much kingdom in this prayer, I believe that God looked at this and looked at Nehemiah and said, he gets it. We're using him. And the reason why I'm teaching you this is because I want you to get it. Because you can fulfill your call, too, if you get it. That your, your calling is not just to sit in a building and listen to me talk once a week. Like, Lord, have mercy. No. That is not your calling. That is not your destiny. You are, as a Christian, you aren't called to be, be on the sidelines watching ministers do, play the game. It, it, as a Christian, you're supposed to be on the field, too. And when you identify what you've been called, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to activate all of us to our identity our, and what territory we, we're supposed to take, what rules we're supposed to take it with, and then who we serve. Amen. We're going to change the world. Amen. Not because we're great, Amen. but because he is. Nehemiah said this. He says, I beseech you, O Lord. He says, please, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He starts his prayer not by calling God, you know, Father or dear Jesus. Or he, says, he says, Lord, God of heaven. Lord is another term for king. Lord is, means owner. So he's basically saying owner, God, ruler, God, king, God, great and awesome God, whose throne is in heaven, he acknowledges him right away as king. So far, so good. Then he says, then he says this, who keeps the covenant and, faith, and faithfulness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Not only does he acknowledge the king, he acknowledges that that king has some commandments, has, has a government. Then he goes on and says this, let your ear now be attentive and your, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. This is remarkable. You, can, you, can't, you can't miss this. He's saying, great, awesome God, you are the capital K king who has a government and commandments that trump everything else. And we are your citizens of that kingdom. I, he says, I am your servant. Now, we look at this and saying, well, that's, that's all nice and well and good, and that's all spiritual. No, 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 wait a second. Nehemiah is saying, not only am I a, a literal servant to a small K king, but I am really, my identity isn't that. My identity is as a servant of the capital K king. That I may be a servant of the small K king, but I am really. My identity isn't that. My identity isn't what I do and my job and my identity isn't in, you know, how I look. My identity is as, first and foremost, is as a servant of the capital K king. That's vital. Okay, then he goes on and he says, which we have sinned against you and I and my father's house have sinned. We, we've looked at that. Verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you 
commanded your servant Moses. So again, he recognizes that there's government, ordinances, statutes, commandments. And then he even goes so far as, as saying, not only do we have a government, we have a constitution given to Moses in paper. And we haven't kept that. Then he goes on and he says, he says, remember the word which you commanded your servants Moses, saying, if you, and he starts quoting the Constitution, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, uh, he says, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens. He says, you can be scattered anywhere. Then he says, I will gather you from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. What Nehemiah does is he says, I, he acknowledges already, I serve a greater king who has a constitution and commandments and a law, and I am his servant most of all. But he also acknowledges right here, he also acknowledges that God had a predestined, he had a territory that they lost because they violated the, the, the constitution. So this is, this is what Nehemiah did. Get this. Nehemiah, not just recognizes king, good, well done. Not just recognizes that, that God had some commandments, great, good, well done. Not just recognizes that he's first and foremost a servant of God, well done. But he recognizes that the city, Jerusalem, is, is God's divine, pre-chosen territory. That it, was, it doesn't matter what he thinks, that God, that God chose that place for his name to dwell. That means that that territory... Which, by the way, what does it have to do with us? By the way, if we recognize the territory that we have been given, that God, that Jesus took this territory back, that means what can we do about our fallen world? That means that we can acknowledge that this is his pre-chosen, predestined territory, which gives us not only the right to respond, but gives us the obligation to. Then, verse 10, he says, They are your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Again, he's saying, listen, we got this territory. We, 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 we're your citizens. In other words, not only do we have the territory, but we have right, rightful rights to that territory because we're your servants. Then he says, O oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, the prayer of your servant. I serve you first and foremost. I serve you. Which at this point I'm thinking, Nehemiah would go, okay, well, I'm, I serve him. I don't need to listen to no small K king no more because I serve him. But then look at his prayer. He says, your servants who delight to revere your name, and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man, talking about the king. And I'm going, what? But you don't serve him. Nehemiah, this is, what's, this is what's amazing. Nehemiah understands the kingdom of God to such a degree that when he recognizes that he belongs and that he serves the big K king, he recognizes that the commandments of the big K king, the laws of the big K king, are so different 
than what is normal of small k kings to rule. Small k kings rule from the top down with dominion and power and control and command down. The big K king works from the bottom up. Jesus says, Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. King Jesus. Nehemiah recognizes, Nehemiah recognizes that, hey, if I'm going to do the commandment of the law and fulfill the law of the capital K king, I have to do it in a set of order. And there's got to be an order in the rest of it that I need to serve the small K king. Which does not make sense. And here's where I think we as Christians miss it a little bit. In two ways we miss it. Number one is we don't recognize that this is our territory. In other words, this is what we do. We're just waiting for God to come back. We're waiting for the rapture. We're waiting for Jesus to come. And we're just holding on to this big, bad, dark, terrible world until Jesus can come and pluck us and rescue us out of it. Wait a second. Hold on. Time out. I'm not ready for Jesus to come back yet. Because if Jesus was to come back now, I'm embarrassed as as to what the big K king would find in the world. Because watch, if, if you have a guest coming over to your house, don't you clean up and stuff all the stuff in the closet and clothes and hope it holds? Don't you, I mean, don't you clean up and prepare away? Now, what if a king was to visit? Wouldn't you? I mean, you would, go, you would do anything to prepare the house to be perfect and beautiful as much as the, the king's coming. Listen, when the king comes back, we got to recognize that this territory is our responsibility, that we're ambassadors here. And listen to me. An ambassador doesn't blame the king if the colony's in shambles. And we're not waiting for the king to come and clean up because he's given us the authority and responsibility to do that. I'm not ready for Jesus to come back yet because we haven't done our job yet. I want to clean up the house a whole lot more. Before we're ready to usher him in. We're not looking for an escape. We got a job to do. This is our territory. Here's the other thing that Nehemiah understood that I'm just like, we don't get, I don't get, is that God expects us in the big K kingdom to be subject to human rules and human laws, even though that we really answer to him. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. Because I, what I see is I see Christians today going, well, I don't need to listen to no government. I serve God. I answer to him. Wait. Hold on. Peter addressed that thinking in 1 Peter. Look at, he said this. <laughs> I hate this verse, just letting you know. Come on, don't look so spiritual. Be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Every. 
He doesn't say be subject if the righteous. He said to be subject to every human institution. Not because they deserve it, but for the Lord's sake. Then he says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. No, wait, God, you're supreme. Notice it's all small. Small e, small s. Whether it be to the emperor. Do you know the emperor he's talking about here? When, when Peter wrote these words, he was writing about Nero. Do you know what Nero's famous for? Nero is, was nuts. He's crazy. Nero was famous for burning down his own city of Rome. He burnt it down himself so that he could blame and cast the blame on the fire and the destruction and the death on Christians so that he could have public support to persecute the Christians he wanted to. And he was known for like some of the worst possible, most hideous, heinous persecution in history. Nero. And to Nero, who's undeserving, corrupt, evil, murderous, Peter says, yeah, even him. What? Or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil. The evil he's talking about is the Christians. Then he says, and to praise those who do good. Verse the will of God, that by doing good, by doing this, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What do you mean? God's government is different. God's way of doing things is different. Then he says this, live as, po- as people who are free, like Nehemiah who lived like he was free even though he was a slave. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. There we go. Okay, no, I serve God. That's right. Honor everyone. That means put everyone above yourself. That's what honor means. Honor everyone. In other words, You move to the bottom of the totem pole and serve. He says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, meaning you got to like each other. (laughs) Then he says, fear God. That I can do. I'm a good Christian. I fear God. Honor the prime minister. Told you I hate this verse. <laughs> Listen, this is, this is what you need to get. This is what we all need to get. God's kingdom is different. Yes, we serve a, great, a big K king. And he was the king of kings. That means all the small kings are subject to him. Yes. But that doesn't mean because we serve the big K king and are citizens of his kingdom, that doesn't mean that we get to usurp any other authority and saying and lord it over. Because this is, this is how God does things different. God doesn't take power and authority and use it to lord over somebody. We don't stand up as Christians and use the same systems that the world uses. We use the kingdom system. And the kingdom system isn't to lord over or to empower over or to, or to, or to, to talk down to. The kingdom system is to come underneath and to serve and to lift up and to honor. Yes, even him. Ah! 
huh. And here, this is what, this is what I believe. God, God heard Nehemiah's prayer and went, he gets it. I can use him. And I'm thinking, listen, this is private, right? This is not going public. <laughs> just us here, right? And, and all of you home, you, this, just, listen, I want to take down the government. Because I hate it too. But we can't take it down using their system. The way we take it down is the big K kingdom's system. And you know how we take it down? We outserve them, we outlove them, and we outgive them. Amen. You know how we take it down? Do you know how the early church took down the most powerful emperor on the the most powerful empire on the planet? They outserved, they outloved, they outgave. They found the least of these, and they loved them like Jesus would love. And they outserved. And by outserving, they were given more influence. And with more influence came more power. And with more power, pretty soon they got to the place where even the emperor became a Christian. And it changed everything. Not because they stood at the Senate with picket signs. because they serve the least of these. I think our call, church, listen, I think our call is to redeem our city. What if we were known as out-serving, out-giving, out-loving our city? That nobody could outdo us. Do you know what your role as a Christian is tomorrow at work? is to honor every human institution, including your crazy boss. And if your crazy boss is here, just look straight ahead. <laughs> but what, imagine if every Christian went to work and said, nobody's going to outserve me, no one's going to outlove me, no one's going to outgive me. Amen. Imagine, pretty soon, you'll probably get promoted and promoted because you're invaluable. And pretty soon, you're the boss. And when you're the boss, you know what you do? You outserve, you outlove, you outgive. What would happen? You could rebuild a city like Nehemiah did in 52 days. Challenge accepted. Today's takeaway is this. Right thinking always precedes right acting. The reason why Christians have been acting less right <laughs> is because we've lost our kingdom thinking. And we've been trying to use the world systems and just be better at it than them. But we were never meant to be better at it than them. That's not our system. Our system is the king's. And Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Help the least of these. 
If you want to be the greatest, be the greatest servant. That's his ways. And so my challenge to you is, is simply this. When we accept responsibility, know our identity as citizens of the big K king, and we choose to be the solution by out-loving, out-serving, out-giving, and then we expect opposition. Not everyone's going to like it. And then number five, number five is we seek first the kingdom and his system, his ways. Amen? We don't have to like it. I don't. But if we want kingdom results, we got to live kingdom way. God help us. King Jesus, we are your servants. And we hear your command to love as you have loved to serve everyone. And God, we ask for your help to out-love, out-serve, out-give. We recognize that this city is our responsibility. We can't cast the blame somewhere else. We accept it where we've allowed others to out-love, out-serve, out-give us. Lord, we want to take our job back. Forgive us where we've gone wrong. Help us to align with you in your ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your, in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does exactly that. And it's not joining the church. It's not joining a religion. It's simply just a relationship with Jesus. So uh, if you'd like, close your eyes, bow your head, repeat this after so dear Jesus I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead and I ask you now to become my Lord to become my Savior to become my friend I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today my heart is yours, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, first off, congratulations. Second off, there's a link uh, posted in the comment section there by Anthony. Click on that link, fill out that form. We'd love to be a part of your journey. Love to help you out in any way that we can uh, help you out. And we just love to yeah, just be there for you, uh, answer any questions you might have. Uh, but congratulations again that is an amazing 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 decision